Hey, Todd Kellum from United Kennel Club. Want to welcome everybody to today's podcast where we talk to Mr. Todd Atkins from the Sportsman's Alliance about all things that are important to us as dog owners and hunters in this country. So join us. You're listening to the UKC Hunting Ops Podcast, celebrating hunting dog heritage, competition, and community. United Kennel Club has been the hunting dog sports home for coonhounds, beagles, retrievers, pointers, cur feist, and more for over 125 years. This podcast is fueled by Yukonuba, the official performance dog nutrition partner of UKC. Uh, welcome to the UKC Hunting Ops Podcast. My name is Todd Kellum, Vice President of United Kennel Club. I think we got a good show for you today. Uh, start by introducing Alan Gingrich, who most of you are familiar with, our Director of Hunting Ops here at UKC. Morning. Morning. It's good to be here. Good to have you backing me up here with the hosting responsibilities. Yeah, yeah. going to be uh, backing you... up the Todd and Todd show today. <laughs> Are you ready to learn something? I hope so. Hope so. Because good, good this, to be here. this is going to be an interesting one. Yeah, and, for uh, sure. I guess to to tee it up a little bit, you and I have at times over the years been asked by our clubs um, to get involved with different legislative actions at the county or state level. And I don't know about you, but that's something I've all, I will admit was never been my strong suit. Yeah, no, I would agree. Same here. You know, it's it's I'm not that person, you know, but I've uh, I've really learned a whole lot about things like that since I've been here, you know, and I'm sure we're going to learn a whole lot more. I think we'll have some good questions that uh, that our guest is going to be able to uh, answer for today. But uh, no, I've certainly learned a lot already, you know, yeah. but it'll be. Uh, yeah, but credit to you. I, I think you had you're you're a little bit better versed and up to date on your current politics than I am. I know you have some interest in that. I, I do. I do, you know, and it's, uh, it's, it's yeah, it's interesting so stuff, good. yeah. Uh, to let everybody know, we are talking to the Sportsman's Alliance today, give you a little background on them. What I can tell you um, can be corrected later, obviously, by our guests, but Sportsman's Alliance is one of the leading advocates for sportsmen for over 40 years in all 50 states. And when I say sportsmen, we're talking the hunting, fishing, trapping, and target shooting segments. So that covers a whole lot of territory. And to say you're the leading advocate of that, that's big. So without further ado, welcome to Todd Atkins, Vice President of Government Affairs from Sportsman's Alliance. It's great to be here, guys. I've I got to tell you, I've been here for a couple of days and somebody who grew up hunting over dogs and a lot of different kind of modes and methods out there. Um, it's, it's been a great couple of days and I've been very, very pleased the people I've met and the fantastic work that you folks are, you know, engaged in. Very, very important for the entire community and industry. So I'm I'm more than happy to be here. Well, I can say welcome to United Kennel Club because you hadn't been to the building before. Correct. He, he's in our studio this morning, so we're glad to have him here. But I don't have to welcome you to Kalamazoo because you have some history with Kalamazoo, Michigan. I do. I, I, I grew up in southwest Michigan, a uh, small town. Dwajak, you know, if you have to be from Dwajak to know how to pronounce it. Most <laughs> folks mispronounce that, the name of the town. But uh, yeah, and I ended up going to undergrad at Western right up the road here. So this is an area I'm very, very familiar with. As soon as I got a driver's license, I traipsed all around <laughs> West Michigan, finding various places to hunt various things. So yep. really, really fun for me to be back here, what I consider my true home. 
Yeah, so we uh, we we uh, were active in a in a legislative issue about a little over a year ago with Sportsman's Alliance, and we can talk about that later. But at the completion of that, it was successful, and at the completion, it's been on my agenda and Matt Gillespie's agenda for a, over a year to say we've got to get together and meet these guys and have a sit down beyond just hey, we got an emergency and we got to get on it. So finally reached out Todd and his team, Todd Atkins, and uh, we put it together. And one of my first questions was, so should we come to Columbus, Ohio, which is where their office is, to sit down and talk? And he says, I got a better idea. I got a season <laughs> tickets for Western Michigan Bronco <laughs> hockey. And he says, I'll gladly come to Kalamazoo. There you go. Every Each and every time. And, and so, yeah, that would be tonight. So a, a lot of reasons to be here in West Michigan, but I, I, you know, hockey notwithstanding, I'm really, really pleased to be here because your people are my people. And I, I express to folks all the time, you know, there's a lot of cliches about if you, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life and all that. Well, I get to take that one step further. I get to wake up every morning and fight for me. Yeah, and that is people in in the community where I grew up in. Everybody with camo on, everybody engaged in hunting, fishing, trapping the whole nine yards. In addition to hunting with dogs, uh, it's part of my legacy going forward. I get to wake up each and every day and fight for the people that I believe in, the community I believe in. So I, I'm even more than the hockey game. I'm absolutely <laughs> pleased to be here at UKC headquarters. Yeah, well, we're super excited to have you here, and, and thank you for uh, spending a little time with us yesterday and now today on this podcast. So thank you for being here. I think you're going to get some street cred from from Alan because he grew up a coon hunter. Yeah. Or at least yeah, with a good introduction yeah. to coon hounds. Why don't you talk about that for a minute? Yeah, so uh, I've hunted over a lot of different dogs, chasing a lot of different stuff in my life, but the the ver my very first exposure to hunting and, and hunting with dogs was over black and tan scoon hunting in southwest Michigan. And, uh, you know, I can remember I was, you know, given the the very important task of holding the light. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so once we had a coon tree, uh, I would march in, right, yeah. uh, with my light and start trying to find uh, the coon in the tree. So black and tans, right? I mean, I hear it, it's like music to my ears. You know, everybody's like, oh my God, that beagle won't stop or that, that black and tan yeah. won't stop. Or my God, that blue tick. Well, can somebody, yeah. it's music to my ears because it's how I was introduced to. And was that through family? Was that? It, it was, yeah. it was. Yeah. My dad had black and tans and, and then many of our neighbors had black and tans and you know how that that rolls through a community. Oh, yeah. You know, a, a particular breed will kind of take over more than any other. Yeah. So, yeah. So back in those early days, were you familiar with competitions, or were you aware that there were competitions around? Well, I I, I told Todd, you know, when I reflect back and open up my own file cabinet of memories, I can remember seeing UK stickers on pickup trucks, yeah. and I can remember going to events of some kind. But to be honest. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. You know, when you're seven, eight, nine years old, again, it's hard for me to re recall. I believe that was the case, yeah. that we were going to events and, and competitions. Uh, 
but I re- I do remember that logo, yeah. and, and I remember it being on pickup trucks. Yeah. So. And you saw back in the days, you saw a lot of those uh, UKC stickers. I think it was the U U period K period. Uh, we may have or one the down. Honor to whom honors do. Yeah, the yeah. I think yeah. we probably have yeah. some down here in our, our studio somewhere. One of the old ones. I don't see one here at the yeah. moment, but yeah, very recognizable. Probably still on some old dog boxes. Yeah. Some old blount boxes. Yeah, still. I was going to say, the old. that's where some of those old uh, first uh, boxes that they still really had, those styles were, they also started here in southern yeah, Michigan, did, did. southwestern Michigan, actually. Yeah, yeah the blount boxes. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, before we get into uh, the nuts and bolts of this whole thing, I, want, I, I had a thought that I was going to say for the end of the show. And on my way in this morning, I'm thinking, no, I want to talk about this at the beginning of the show. Okay. Because I, it, it meant a lot to me when I heard it. And I don't want viewers to say, oh, they're going to talk about politics and they're going to switch it to a different podcast. Do not do that. You're right. going to have to stick with us. It's important that you hear this. I want to go back, I don't know, 20 years. I'm, I think it's before you were here, Alan. And Joe Hudson, who is a plot hound breeder bear hunter in the up he's the president of the bear up bear houndsman forever and ever we had joe to one of our events the winter classic down in albany georgia to speak to our people and he said something 20 years ago that has stuck with me to this day and it's it's true and everybody listening to this podcast needs to hear it he said something to the effect of the more you utilize a resource, the greater your responsibility is to give back to it, okay? To me, that I'm thinking, okay, my nephew, he comes up to bird hunt with me in camp two days a year. Okay, how much is, what's his responsibility to give back to RGS? Probably not a lot. I hunt every single day of the season and train my dog on birds all spring. Do I have a little bit more responsibility to give back? I think so. And one of Joe's important points was you can give back in two ways. You can give back in time and effort, you know, as a volunteer to help an organization. They all need plenty of help. If you don't have the time and effort, you got to give back financially. Pick one between the, you know, pick between the two. You have a responsibility to give back to the resource. Or in today's case, you know, a groups like advocacy groups like Sportsman's Alliance. And everybody listening to this podcast are, you know, we are the users at a different level than the, you know, maybe the average person. Yeah. And I think just to add to that, and I, I see it and I'm guilty of it. I think I fall in that same category as a lot of hunters. They would like to be able to somehow help, uh, but don't really know where to go or where to uh what to do yeah you know so hopefully today we can talk about some of those things and and maybe uh just uh uh talk about that a little bit again you know and how important that is you know and maybe where they can go to to help out yeah and i think i've always thought of it this way and when i speak to to crowds of our folks all across this great nation the one thing i've learned in politics not to get too political what's absolutely true we have to be engaged. And by engaged, I don't necessarily mean you have to show up with a yard sign somewhere, jumping up and down. That's, that's how people view politics, but that's just because the media presents it this way, that way. 
It's about knowing what's going on. It's about reaching out to your fellow sportsmen in your club, those that are neighbors within the community. Are you aware that a bill was just introduced that's going to actually mess with us really bad? Something like that, being engaged, understanding the world around us. And you're right. Sometimes it comes down to, I'm so busy, I don't have time. I'm going to give some money to a group like the Sportsman's Alliance. I'm going to make sure I go to more meetings at my local club of UKC so I understand what's happening around me. But being engaged, not being a passenger, not being passive about, because they're coming after us. Those who are arrayed against what we do and what we love, they're not slowing down for a moment. So as you say, stay engaged through some mechanism or means, stay engaged and make sure all of us are thinking about what type of future we want to leave to, to our grandchildren. That's why I want people to listen yeah. today. Yeah. Let's, you, you know, if I can just add to that, you know, I think we, we, we talk about, we've been doing this for a long time, Todd, you can attest to this and you can probably as well. I talk about the hunting territory or the hunting properties you had uh, access to 40 years ago mm. and just, just break it down in decades. You know, what, what you had 20 years ago, what you had 10 years ago and what you have today, that can be alarming, you know, and, uh, you know, you talk about your kids and your grandkids and, and uh, there's a lot of things like that. You know, what what are we going to be looking like in 20 years? And we need to pre help preserve. No doubt. And and I know uh, survey after survey after survey, it's just gotten obvious at this point. We don't need to ask folks who leave our community, stop hunting, stop trapping, whatever it is. Right. Access. It always comes down to Todd. I lost my place. I had this place, my family had this place, or we own some property, or it might be public lands that the federal or state government is restricting in a new way. It's just becoming harder and harder to continue to engage in, in the things we love. And a lot of guys are like, and gals are like, at the end of the day, I'm going to go do something else. This has just become way, way too hard. And access to property and opportunities is probably number one for all of us. And I know for me personally, had I not had a place like the Todd Farm up the road, that was public property I knew I could get on. Well, those arrayed against, it, against us, the HSUS and the rest, are, are very surely chipping away at all of the access to public lands all across this country. So you're absolutely right. For 30, 40 years, the amount of property all of us had access to was a lot broader than it is today. And that is about staying engaged, getting in the fight through some mechanism or method one way or another to make yeah. sure we're protecting it for everybody. Well, let's go back 40 years and let's talk about the how Sportsman's Alliance came to be. You want to just do a brief history? Yeah, real, real briefly. So what's interesting about uh, the Sportsman's Alliance is – we talked about this uh, yesterday, and I, I tell folks when I'm on the road, when it comes to hounding, trapping, a lot of the issues that, that many other groups don't fight on behalf of, we're right there. It's because we were founded on one of these issues. In fact, in the late 1970s, anti-hunters put an anti-trapping ballot uh, a measure on the ballot in the state of Ohio with a group of concerned sportsmen came together. Well, we can't let this happen, right? 
and they established the Wildlife Legislative Fund of America. That has now become the Sportsman's Alliance. We rebranded, you know, did some research. What better kind of emphasizes what we do and how we do it. The Sportsman's Alliance was what we chose to move forward with. But yeah, it was a group of folks saying, we can't, look, we can't let out-of-staters coming into Ohio and tell us how to manage our wildlife. And that includes whether or not we should be allowed to trap. So we successfully uh, fought off that initial ballot initiative. And then that group of, of folks who came together originally looked all across the country and said, this is going on everywhere. I think this organization, collectively they said, this organization needs to exist because we have to take this fight wherever the antis bring it. And that's what we do. And that's what we continue to do today. We have a, a long mission statement, but I can make it really thumbnail in a hurry. We fight the antis is what we do. And if you're engaged in hunting, trapping, anything in which somebody is trying to tell you your way of life is what we're taking today, we're going to show up. It's that simple. Yeah, I remember that Wildlife Legislative Fund of America. That's how yeah. I remember yeah. them. I mean, even up till fairly recently, I would have probably said that's how I would have searched for you. So right. Sportsman's, right. Sportsman's Alliance is the same thing. It's that's what right. Some of our older members might remember is. That's right. Um, so to talk about the scope, you might've just touched on the scope, but yeah, how, how all encompassing is Sportsman's Alliance? We know that you're active in all 50 states yes. and we know you're active in those four segments. Um, does, uh, does it go beyond, is it, how do I say this? Is it, does any of that encompass, uh, habitat work like the other groups like Rough Grouse Society, Pheasants Forever? Is it only hunting and shooting laws right we're primarily an advocacy organization that is what i said we fight on behalf of hunters anglers trappers <clears throat> pardon me when it comes to legislative issues regulatory issues etc we do uh, occupy some space when it comes to conservation okay. and we will support uh, efforts at the national and the state level when it comes to conservation funding but let me back up for just a moment, because this is really a, a story that's not often told enough. When it comes to fish and wildlife conservation in this country, the basic North American fish and wildlife management model, hunters, anglers, and trappers are what fund that. So this is the way we look at it. Quite simply, you can't just remove hunters, anglers, and trappers from the landscape because the fish and wildlife managers will say, all the funding is gone now, right? All of our conservation work that benefits all wildlife, fish and game species certainly, but all wildlife, warblers, et cetera, right, has just been yanked from us because people no longer hunt, fish, or trap. So at the end of the day, we view our, our work on behalf of those who hunt, fish, and trap as central to fish and wildlife conservation because we're the major funding source. And then when you add on top of the, the license fees, the tag fees, the permit fees, all of the taxes we pay through the Pittman, Robertson, and Dingle Johnson Act, right? Every time you purchase a firearm, there's, a, there's an, 11, uh, uh, an excise tax on that. Ammunition. Every time you purchase ammunition. So... Our great successes in this country when it comes to fish and wildlife, the envy of the rest of the world, how did you pull this off? 
are because of hunters, anglers, and trappers. So I always see what we do as habitat work, even when we're just fighting on behalf of the individual engaged in these activities, because it is that individual that funds all of these various conservation mechanisms to begin with. So how do you how do you guys decide? Let me back up a little bit. So we get I get calls sometimes, or we do hear, you know, somebody from say Virginia. They have a local law or a, a county law, or maybe it's a state law, maybe it's a tethering law or or a leash law of some kind that they want us to know about and uh, you know what they can do or help us, you know. Uh, and it's been every any time that I have forwarded that anything like that to you guys, you've already known about it. Yeah. So how do you go about, how do you, and, and how do you decide on what bills that you seek out or that you're interested in or that you get involved with? Yeah, how does that know, process work? That yeah. So it, it's kind of a two-prong approach. Or in other words, I guess what I'm kind of getting at, do you pretty much know any, any issue that is coming up dog related or hunting related before, as soon as anybody would? regardless of where it comes from? Much of it, the vast majority of it. Um, and there are principally two mechanisms. One is very old-fashioned, network of relationships, right? So as you work in politics, you, you build this network of people you know in fish and game departments, in legislatures. It might be a staffer who calls you, hey, by the way, they're dropping a bill tomorrow, and it's kind of secret squirrel, but I wanted to let you know and then we have the, the modern era devices, right, which are extraordinarily helpful. These massive algorithms constantly searching each of the states for every possible legislative, you know, we have like we tag a thousand words. If these words show up in any legislation, let us know. So we have a staff devoted to, God bless their hearts, they work very hard watching these scrolls of bills that come through and they're already coming through for next year now because people pre-file bills you know and we end up tracking two to three thousand bills at any given time like in the months of january february where most states are actually in session actively in session it's a lot of bills so various mechanisms now i will say Many times we will have anti-hunting bureaucrats who try to secret squirrel things and not tell anybody. So the algorithm never has a chance to, you know, an app or something never has a chance to actually find it. And thank goodness for those personal relationships we build in the meantime to give us that heads up. I wondered if you tracked the antis or was it just a matter of watching... <laughs> legislative bills that are being introduced or would it be more proactive to kind of keep an eye on what they're doing over here? Well, I'm the first to admit that I regularly visit all of their sites. It's rather frustrating. I, I try not to get angry when I'm on their sites, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. But at the same time, yeah, we watch be, what they do. Be aware doing. of what they're doing. So another question that I have that I would like your thoughts on is that we hear a lot is there may be a bill that kind of doesn't really affect us as hunters or dog owners or dog rights, but we hear it all the time. This is just the first step to get to something else that will infect. What are your thoughts on that? Do, oh, do you see a lot of that? There's zero doubt about it. Uh, often, I, I, I always... You never want to be in a place where you're one amendment away 
from being restricted, removed, canceled, if you will. So often, legislation does show up in this incremental way where, well, no, 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 this is definitely on commercial breeders. Let's just take that example. They'll often introduce a bill that is clearly about commercial breeding of dogs, other domestic animals, etc. Pardon me. One amendment away from getting all of us. One amendment away from getting anybody who has a single litter a year. So that's always a problem. Yeah, interesting. That's something we hear a lot, you know, and I think it's easy to just kind of ignore it when it doesn't affect us directly or doesn't hit us hard enough, you know, but uh, we do hear that a lot, you know, things like that. One of the things I want to know is uh, what are the other groups out there or are there any other groups out there with the with the scope and reach of Sportsman's Alliance or which ones are more, most closely related to what you do? Do you have a working relationship? with other advocacy groups? We have excellent relationships with just about every group you can imagine, and we work in coalitions often. Um, it will often de depend upon the, <coughs> pardon me, on the venue and the nature of the legislation, but you can go on down the habitat groups as well as the other advocacy groups like NRA, Safari Club, and so on and so forth. We work in coalition format all the time. I was hoping there was. It wasn't viewed as com competition for funding. and Often people will get very parochial about who they are, what they do, and who their funders are. We try to tamp that down as much as possible. I believe if we stand together, they can't touch us. If we do divvy ourselves up, we'll lose. We'll be right back. Alan, we both had Daltra Pathfinder 2s now for a little while. What do you think about yours? I'm liking mine. One of the things I had the opportunity to now download a map of an area where I did not have service, and I've used it there, and it has worked flawlessly. I love it. Yeah, I love the crystal clear maps. I love that I never lose reception on my dog's collars anymore. Highly recommended by me as well. Daltra Pathfinder 2, the official GPS collar partner of UKC. So, Todd, you talked a little bit about some of the regions that you, that tend to have uh, that you tend to see more bills come through. You, you talked about some of it is uh, moving, you know, to uh, areas where you might not think like the deep south, you know, where hunting is a has been a tradition for a long time. But so my next question is, does a person need to live in a in such a targeted area to become active on issues that are going on in that area and or do the voice of residents carry more weight yeah it's, when, it's it, a, when it comes to uh legislative issues it's a great question and it's one that in our kind of modern form of politics is it's really important for people to understand so uh, i've been a lobbyist now for about 30 years so I visited a lot of offices and talked to them about, how about a yes vote, how about a no vote, that type of stuff. But I've gotten to know this process very well. That is, how do they make decisions? And believe it or not, I do not have a really cynical view of the world when it comes to how politicians make decisions. 
for me, through all that work and time, I've learned they actually want to be good delegates, meaning they want to make the decisions that will help them keep their job. Well, they have to know what their constituents want to help them keep their job. So if we think about how noisy our society is generally right now with social media and the number of emails that can possibly be generated in a single day, believe it or not, it still comes down to a lot of the old-fashioned ways of communication that are the most effective. For folks to actually go and visit their legislator, I, I can tell you, I can assure you, it is so powerful for that legislator because the boss person just walked into my office, the one who decides whether or not I keep my job. And whether they're there for good reasons or bad reasons is somewhat irrelevant Trust me, it is still the gold standard. They want to hear from the boss. So as you go down the list of like potential ways in which you can be contacted, right? A phone call. The very first question that assistant should ask you, what's your address or what's your zip code? The reason they're doing that is are you actually a constituent of Representative Jones? Let's say that's who you're calling. Well, think about this for a moment. If you're here in Michigan and there's a bill up, let's say to allocate more or less resources to public lands here in Michigan, do you want people in Indiana telling your legislator how to do that? They're a delegate of you, not of somebody from Indiana. So it's critically important that people are engaged in every possible way. So don't, let, don't mishear me. And I want them to remain engaged about all issues that matter to them. But it's almost like a sliding scale of what is most versus least effective. Right at the top, obviously, that constituent matters the most because in our Republican form of government, the constituent is supposed to matter the most. And if we think about, we hear about money in campaigns and, oh, my God, we just spent so All that money is about and all it's ever been about is that person running for office being able to tell their constituents how to vote and why they should vote for them, right? So we almost use it as a proxy, that money. I want to hear from my constituents. I want to hear from the boss person. So yes, residency, let alone constituency, meaning you actually live in someone's district. Now for a a U.S. senator, that's the entire state. For a governor, it's the entire state. Where this gets a little bit different, just so we're clear, because we're talking about hunters and anglers, trappers that tend to travel a lot. Like folks will say, well, I go out to South Dakota to hunt pheasants every year, or I do this and that. It's not that they don't want to hear from non-residents, but just trust that the resident, the constituent's going to be in front of you but still voicing your opinion will matter at some level. So it's still important to stay engaged. Yeah, as in, you know, you might really like to go out west elk hunting and tags are a big deal and they can be very expensive for non-residents. So voicing your opinion on issues like that, stay engaged. Let them decide 
don't give you have to at least give them the option of deciding whether or not your your voice should be heard or not heard. But each and every time, this is the form of government our, our wonderful founders created. They're supposed to represent the people they represent. So yeah, residency matters a lot. Yeah, well, Todd, forgive me here for jumping in with a, with a follow-up <laughs> here. So you mentioned we were talking about voices. So let's say I have an issue in my county that I am very adamant about, and I want to make sure I am my voice is heard. Uh, speak a little bit on do's and don'ts of me getting involved. Uh, let's say I go to this hearing that is taking place. What uh, some do's and don'ts for me as somebody that doesn't really know other than I have a very strong opinion about the topic at hand. Yeah. Yeah. So the first I'm going to start with a don't. Last thing I want to do is, is screw it up. up, Right. (laughs) Right. Um, So our modern politics is I'll I'll start with don'ts because they clearly have become the the biggest problem. Um, At the end of the day, you still want to act as if you are meeting uh, uh, your potential fiance's family for the first time. You want to be respectful. You want to be honest. You want to keep your tone very level. Uh, politics that we see, especially on social media, has become toxic. There is a great allure because of the passion that we all feel for these things that we love and do to go toxic or at least snarky, right? Well, I'll go ahead and, and give you a piece of my, I mean, we can't even go to a school board meeting without screaming at each other, let alone engaging in actual physical altercations with one another. Just unfortunately, this new reality that we live in. So I say, well, remember that old saying, take the high road, take the high road each and every time. Careful, concise, honest, respectful. Everything you do, every email you send, even a post on social media, at the end of the day, you don't want to just engage in this kind of toxic free-for-all that's out there uh, because you're not going to be heard. Um, and and we, we all know that intuitively, and yet so many of us still decide that it's to get this instant gratification of engaging in snark or nastiness or toxicity so at whatever level you're going to, this is all the way at the, from the local level all the way to the national level. I'm, I'm going to talk to a, a county council person, or I'm going to talk to a U.S. senator in exactly the same way, respectful, honest. And the greatest thing you can become, and the power of this, I, I wish I had a measurement of it. Once you become a trusted resource of an elected official, It's like solid gold going forward forever. And among the ways you become a trusted resource, well, Todd's a reasonable guy. I know I can talk to him. He'll give me the straight scoop. We may not agree all the time, but at the end of the day, when he comes to my office, he's always, he has a lot of great information. He's very low key about it. He's very helpful to me. He'll tell me the reasons that his organization is opposed or supportive or something. So I say you can make yourself stand out simply by not engaging the way so many of us are right now. Hey, I thought one thing our listeners would find interesting, and I'll get on to preferred methods of activation, but I was on Sportsman's Alliance website. You can actually get on there 
and contact your legislators. And it's super easy. You put in your zip code, bam. You put in your street address, bam. Here is um, a list of your state and national legislators. Now I can click on them individually and say, I want to send these three an email, okay? I get, first of all, kudos to that for making it easy for people like me. And our listeners will love that. Try to remember that. But my next question for you is, is an email enough? Or when do I know that I need to call? Or when do I know that I need to drive to the Capitol? I, there's all those different levels, and there's got to be some for preferred method of handling them. Yeah, so uh, I, I, would, I would generalize this way. Stay engaged. And each of us in our own life, understands what are my time constraints to how much can I engage? What can I do? And, and at the end of the day, we actually had an article about this in our most recent uh, magazine for our members. The gold standard remains the same for all of us in whatever walk of life. Let's sit down and have a talk. Eye to eye to eye. Now, I know there's a lot of folks in younger generations that prefer not to do that, but it's still the Cadillac. If, if you can't find time to do that, we'll go right down the rung. Well, is the congressman going to take time to talk to all 10 of my club members, or is he going to want to talk to the president of the club? Probably is, the president yeah. of the club, but you never know until you ask. If you're actually a constituent of somebody, again, this is true at every single level, including, let's say, like the the individuals uh, in our kind of uh, Republican form of government who have the most constituents would be United States senators, at least generally speaking. Their constituents are their constituents, and the power of constituency is truly amazing. Is it easy to get on their personal schedule? No. But again, they may be attending a town hall meeting. You just have to be aware. You have to kind of open yourself and your schedule to every possibility. They might be cruising through on a campaign event. Well, five minutes is better than no minutes. So the personal touch is still the king. And I say that unreservedly, undoubtedly, each and every time. Coming down the list, your voice on the phone is more powerful than an email. Okay. It just is. If you are a constituent, what percentage of the time do you get to talk to the the legislator as opposed to an aide? What per, how often do you actually get to talk to them? At the highest levels, not not very often. Yeah, probably really going to have to luck out more than anything. Okay, coming down the scale though, sure. uh, some state senators and uh, representatives don't have aides. They will answer their, if they're in their office, they okay. will answer their own call. So it'll depend on where you live and what the circumstances are. But in each case, might as well try. Yeah. Right? Might as well find out. And especially as you move down to county and those other levels, you're going to get to right. talk to somebody. That's right. right. Yeah. I wondered how they track that. Is it just a hash mark on a, on a note or are they really paying attention to what you're saying? Or is it just numbers thing? Yeah, or are there aides uh, reading the emails, or does the does the legislator, the uh, the senator, or whoever does he actually read the emails you send them, or is that somebody else? Well, 
How does that work? I've known elected officials who are extraordinarily diligent, like probably more diligent than I could ever be. I will just admit that and read a lot more than you would expect them to. Others, I will say, just ask for the daily tally, especially on hot issues where the office might receive thousands of phone calls in a single day. If, If people are really excited about a very particular issue, might ask for the daily or weekly tallies, like yeses and nos. How are we looking? How are we doing? But the one thing I will say about those emails and um, the number of assistants that I've had this interview with, where I've asked them, hey, emails. Some just say, yeah, Todd, it gets discarded, man. We we go ahead and check it. But as far as the actual, the the verbiage within Others have said, no, 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 we're very careful about that. And the person I work with really wants to be very careful. I know one thing, if I'm face-to-face with them, again, I'm going to keep returning to this because you would be surprised when, when I've even conducted surveys. The number of Americans who bother to ever show up in person Boy, you're unusual just because you show up, because it is a tiny percentage of the constituency, if you will, a given district ever take the time. And many of them don't have the time, and I understand yeah. that. So you really stand out. I mean, like, oh, Todd, then then you're on a first-name basis with your elected official. And, and like I said, going all the way up to United States Senator, that might be really, really difficult. But since so many of our issues are at the state level, you know, if you hunt with dogs, that's primarily a state level issue. Learning who your state rep and state senator are is not a big deal. And figuring out ways that you can become an asset for them on a lot of our issues is a lot easier than a lot of uh, a lot of folks expect. Because remember, even with historic voter turnout. In 2020, do you remember how much of the eligible population actually turned out? That was historic, 67%. So just think, that's the big kahuna voting in this country. It's still two-thirds. There was still a third that didn't vote. Well, start coming down that list. How? What percentage of folks will actually show up in my office to say, I really don't like House Bill 303? It's single digits. So, boy, you can have an outsized amount of power on issues that you care about because you're actually a person. You actually show up. Yeah, I voted for you last time. I want to vote for you again. So let's talk about House Bill 303, right? It's an extraordinarily uh, extraordinary opportunity for all of us, actually. Yeah, interesting. I'd like for him to touch on, um, talk about the, the percentage of cases, maybe not the percentage of cases you deal with that are specifically dog-related, but the fact that a high percentage of the activity of the Sportsman's Alliance is centered around dog ownership. I know... On the About Us section of your website, one of the headings on there, and it's only the third paragraph down, is, is dog wars. So yeah. obviously, it's a big part of what Sportsman Alliance does. It's a big part of who we are. It's a big part of where we've been. It's a big part of our heritage as an institution or organization. Uh, we've got board members. 
that obviously board members are, are, are kind of an example to the entire membership. This is what we care about. And we've got a lot of folks who hunt with dogs. That's right. I saw that on there. And it is on a day-in, day-out basis, I think about or talk about or write about dogs at least every day. At least every day of the week. And we talked yesterday. It's kind of that low-hanging fruit thing for the antis, right? You got the trappers down here. Let's go beat up on them and try and take some of their rights away. Well, who's right behind the trappers? Is it the dog owners? Is it the archers? You know, you got those groups that they're going to go after first, I assume. Yeah, and and so for them, just strategically, uh, they know divide and conquer works. And they've been at it now for 40 years. And they know that... When we divide up and when the deer hunter says, well, that doesn't affect me, what do I care? They know they've got us. And that's when we're most vulnerable. So folks who hunt with dogs, even if you collected all the duck hunters, frankly, and everybody, all the bird hunters, all the houndsmen, if you collect it, it's still a small percentage of the hunting community as a whole. Well, they know that, right? They understand that. And they know getting that person who's just a, who would say, I'm just a deer hunter, to come out of the woods and get on the phone or go visit a legislator is that much right harder if it's, quote, not their issue. So, Todd, I tell you, man, if I've said it once, I've said it a million and a half times, divided we fall each and every time. So they know that. You're exactly right. And we're there, and I'm raising my elbows every time. I'm I'm ready uh, to take on the other side. You know, very recently we filed suit against the Fish and Wildlife Service because they, without dotting t or crossing t's and dotting i's, decided we're just going to stop dog training and dog hunting in the Conte National Wildlife Refuge. Well, we filed suit. I've been down in Louisiana. This is a county level event. Folks can go on our website. We kind of did it with a little bit of fun, tongue-in-cheek a little oh, I bit. I thought this, it was very creative. Th- this is an outrageous local proposal that says a number of things that, that you've got to be kidding me. You just shake your head. Um, but again, that that primarily is about folks who own dogs, uh, but they might be hobby breeders of dogs. They certainly hunt with dogs. Um, so we go all the way from the local, all the way to the national. We're going to absolutely each and every time, and I'm not going to tell other groups what they should do, but I know where we'll be when it comes to hunting with dogs. And no matter, no matter the situation, we're going to show up for that fight each and every time. I think our listeners need to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another question here is, is there a means to track or measure the legislative issues that you've uh, that you've had uh, success with, and uh, for folks to see or yeah, let's celebrate the your all your accomplishments. How do we, do you guys track that? Well, uh, we don't do we don't do it in a macro sense, meaning like at the end of the year, how many bills did we face? Yeah, I can tell you, I I know that we engage on hundreds of legislative initiatives each and every year. Part of the problem with the way we conduct business these days is you might have a bill introduced in a state where I have a very strong relationship with a right committee person, right, or or a chairman of a committee. And I will just place a call, hey, that House Bill 303, let me tell you some of the problems in that bill. And the bill never comes up for a hearing. Well, how do I 
how do I quantify what just happened at the end of the day, right? The knockdown, drag out fights, lit like ballot initiatives and things like that, we know we, we win about 70% of the time. When Sportsman's Alliance engages, you can't be 100% simply because of the nature of the beast when it comes to the amount of money you have to spend on a ballot initiative, right? Especially in states like California, Oregon, and Washington, where the other side is going to bring literally millions and millions of dollars. So we know we win about 70% of those fights. And I'm not trying to skate around this answer, but I, I literally last legislative session probably engaged in a very proactive way, either alerting our people or actually directly talking to a sponsor or a committee member or the speaker or another leader on thousands of bills. I mean, when, when January, February start rolling, I mean, I'm on the phone all day, every day because of the number of bills. I will say what we have seen, and this is where this question of engagement becomes really, really important. The volume of bills that are opposed to us in some way, shape, or form, or hurt us as outdoorsmen, as folks who hunt with dogs, or folks who like to hunt X, Y, or Z, the volume, it's almost exponential. Ugh now year by year. And the reason for that is quite interesting. Obviously, I talked about these coasts, like the West and, and the East Coast issues. And that's just a question of demographics and who's in control, right? But what we see in these Southern states and even some of the interior West states is over time, there's this new urban-rural dynamic that's occurring. You know, we had Democrats who traditionally kind of had control of X number of state legislatures, that evolved over and changed over time. But now what we see is a lot of urban and suburban legislators who might be Republicans and or conservative on many other issues who think animal welfare, welfare bills sound okay to them. Well, that's because they don't have the background that we have. They don't have a background in the outdoors. They're like, Todd, I didn't realize this was a problem. It's a problem. We need to roll that back. So it's not that we have more folks against us. You probably see that us. a lot, don't you? We get it yeah. a lot. Yeah. Where I, we have to wait. Let's sit down. Let's walk through this bill, and I'll show you. You know, like our typical member might have six or seven hounds, and you see how they're already wrapped up into this? And they're like, wait, you have members with that many dogs? I'm like, <laughs> well, they grew up in an urban environment. They don't have any understanding at all, right? So the volume has clearly gone up. And that is, for me, with all this gray hair, mm -hmm. that is becoming more and more concerning over time. That, wow, we really need folks to understand we have to hang together and we have to remain engaged. Yeah. Hey, I know uh, we've uh, already used up a lot of time here. We don't want to hold Todd up all day here, but we could uh, we a lot of interesting things here. But let's talk about budget a little bit. Can we talk about uh, how uh, maybe how you are budgeted, how SA is budgeted, and how uh, maybe how people can uh, maybe uh, best spend their uh, how how do I budget? Uh, I want to support whatever locally, be it nationally, wherever. How do I how do I decide on how much I should put here versus over here? Am I making no, sense? Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah. So budgeting, from my perspective, when I think about the nation as a whole, 
we expect to spend X percentage of our total government affairs budget at the state level and X percentage at the federal level. If I was an individual out there in the world, I would look at it this way. Most of our issues, most of our issues that matter occur at the state level. Now, one thing, again, I'm not going to name any names, but one thing that all of us can know is what happens in D.C. is a big deal. Like it's a huge deal, right? We all get extremely excited, and to some level, maybe we should. But what actually changes our lives all the time? State capital. What car you drive, what it looks like, how much taxes you pay. But we don't get that excited. We get kind of excited about what happens here in Michigan and Lansing, right? And the state capitals. But boy, we will get fired up about the Congress in a hurry and the White House. But if you're a hunter, there is stuff that occurs in D.C. that's really important. And if you visit our website, you'll see we are constantly engaged in one lawsuit after another against the Fish and Wildlife Service or some regulation, but it's really what happens at the states. Well, here's the good news when it comes to Sportsman's Alliance. Yes, we operate in Washington, D.C. a lot, but we're also in every state capital all the time because we understand that's where the bread is buttered when it comes to hunting, fishing, and trapping. And because people tend to have their guard down when it comes to the states, It's also where the greatest danger lies, because generating heat, then let's say I learn about a bill being introduced in Lansing, like in January, right, to do X, Y, or Z. I send out the call, the alerts go out, and our members and and other folks who sign up will get an alert. Hey, House Bill 303 is really bad, right? It's a new tethering bill. It doesn't exempt trialing or training or anything else, right? A lot of times people will just, oh, well, that's Lansing. We just naturally don't think of our state capital as the same level of of a problem that we do Washington, D.C. So I would say engage. And yes, I'd love to have every single UKC person as a member of Sportsman's Alliance. But whatever decision you make to engage in a group, make sure insist upon they're going to fight for dog issues and they're going to spend a lot of time in the state capitals. And all all you have to do is not take my word for it. Just go to any group you're thinking about and look at their website. They're going to tell you where their focus is. It's just naturally occurring. It's organic each and every day. Hey, Trevor, how about those wait times in the registration queue these days? Uh, that department done an awesome job cutting down on call queue wait times, shortening the length of time between emails, and the chat feature is still a short, valuable option. And those those times have went down to nothing. Uh, these days, uh, there is hardly any wait time at all. Right. And you're able to get a hold of those departments from 8.30 a.m. to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time now, Monday through Friday. Well, I think we can say that, uh, you know, over the years, UKC and Sportsman Alliance have worked good together, but if I can not go out on too much of a limb here right now, I think I can let our listeners know that in the future you're going to see a um, much more clear partnership of sorts between UKC and all of our 
customers and listeners and Sportsman's Alliance. So we're gonna we're gonna stay in touch a little closer. Yeah, and I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Um, the way I I see it, it's a natural. It, it UKC folks should be Sportsman's Alliance folks and vice versa. Um, at the end of the day. While we don't have a firm handle on specifics yet, our, this relationship and the growth of it is obviously going to be coming in the in the next few months in various and sundry ways. I think both of our memberships are going to see that evolution, and I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, Todd, I have one more question I'd like to ask you here before we wrap things up, if you could. Um, is, is there any specific dog-related legislation that is coming up or that you see on the horizon that would be something important that we should be know about or that hunters or dog owners should know about? Yeah. Right now, I wouldn't call anyone's attention to a specific bill, but let me tell you the evolution of things that I've seen that's really problematic. And that is, we all would recall that puppy mills were the big thing about five years ago. And so in various state legislatures, we fought back and we got things amended and, and we came out of that kind of battle line pretty well. What's happening now is a little bit uh, what I talked about before, where we have folks with no ill intent in their heart just going, Todd, I didn't realize this would be a problem for hunters, is sheltering and tethering bills under a general moniker of animal welfare. Um, we see these packages being put together in more than a few states now. So we have legislative sessions starting in January and February. Not across the country. Each state has its own unique schedule, like Michigan has a so-called full-time legislature. But most, many of the states have three or four months that they'll be in session. Many of those come in January, February, and March, right? Well, I can guarantee you I'm going to see hundreds and hundreds of tethering sheltering bills, many of them sponsored by folks who would be surprising to many. So here's the thing. Um, engage. And that's with the Sportsman's Alliance or UKC or other organizations. So you can watch in your state. And when somebody reaches out and says, you better start making phone calls, making contacts, these bills, because, because they're built around folks being confused or having a bad understanding or a lack of a clear understanding, they say, well, yeah, I don't like a dog being tied up all day, 24-7, 365. Well, they take that feeling and expand it into a 28-page bill. And before you know it, you can't even hold a field trial anymore yeah. because they haven't exempted anything. So here's my point. We see that kind of desire to, quote, do the right thing, and this happened on puppy mill legislation as well, it gets broadened by the antis, almost like they're kind of giggling to themselves while they do it. And it's always going to be on page 7 or page 12 or something like, look, right there, they're not exempting our people. You're going to shut down a contest. You're going to shut down a field test. You're going to... And, and so it leaves, you know, all of us then have to go explain that to legislators. No, no, you don't understand. This is a lot broader than whether or not that dog was tied up in the front yard 24-7, 365. 
So at the end of the day, it's not one individual bill. It will be a bunch of bills. And many of your listeners will be living in states thinking, well, I'm good here in Georgia. Such a bill was introduced in Georgia last session. I'm here in Oklahoma. Such a bill was introduced in Oklahoma last year. So engage in some fashion. We'd love to have you as a member at the Sportsman's Alliance so that you get that alert from us saying, it's time to contact somebody now. Contact your legislator and let them know you've got real problems with this bill. So I guess the easiest way to join is to go to the website? Walk yeah. Us, walk us it, that. Yep, sure. these days it is the easiest way. And for folks, it's it it's a our our website is not an easy address to recall. It's it's plural possessive sportsmansalliance.org, <laughs> right? M E N S without the apostrophe uh, sportsmansalliance.org. And yeah, we have a lot of different membership levels. We have a lot of different benefits that you get with each of those levels. Uh, we have a fantastic magazine. New magazine. I saw it yesterday. Yeah. It's really quality, quality publication. Our 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 members Quarterly. really quarterly magazine. Um, and we, throughout the year, we're going to have various gift incentives. If you join, uh, we typically give out a knife or and or a hat and so on and so forth. So a lot of different levels that people can can join up. And at the end of the day. Uh, the most important from my perspective as the government affairs guy, that means you're going to get notified. That's that's the best part of the whole package is you're no longer uh, going to just hear it, uh, hear about it somewhere. Maybe you're actually going to get notified by us in your state when there's action that's needed to take care of all of us. But that Yeah, that's uh, that's a good point to make right there. Well, Halen, any closing thoughts? Did you learn learn a little bit today? No, absolutely. It's uh, it was interesting, and I was I've been looking forward to this and meeting with you here in this podcast today. So, really appreciate you taking the time and spending a little time with us. I this feel morning. motivated. I mean, yeah. I, I knew I yeah. would. And when you come out, of you know, that, I like... always I always feel motivated whenever we have whenever you are in a discussion about legislation and things like that. But I think I'm probably like a lot of people. It doesn't. Uh, last long enough you know and and like you you said you know we need to stay engaged and well, we can always do better with that and and if i could just say i think a lot of people become apathetic um and life is busy anyway yeah, yeah. but this is what i know to be true with 30 years of experience i know to be true you can't beat us when we're together and yeah. fired up about something our community will show up and when they do <laughs> can't beat us. So we're good, but we got to get people to show up. And now we know someone at Sportsman's Alliance that we can call and text, Alan. Yeah. It'll be easy to remember yeah. the name. Yeah. <laughs> at least the first name, right? It might have got confusing <laughs> in this podcast, but yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for being here with us today. And it was my pleasure. Thank you for sure. having me. There you go, that. So good things to come. Let me tell you that. Thanks for listening to the UKC Hunting Ops podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and to like and follow UKC Hunting Ops on Facebook and Instagram.